Martin Werfer versus Buckley. Sorcerari to the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit. Decided February 22, 2023. Kate and David Martin Werfer decided to remodel the house they jointly owned in San Francisco and to sell it for a profit. David took charge of the project, while Kate remained largely uninvolved. They eventually sold the house to respondent Karen Buckley. In conjunction with the sale, Kate and David attested that they disclosed all material facts related to the property. After the purchase, Buckley discovered several defects that the Bartworfers had failed to disclose. Buckley sued in California State Court and won, leaving the Bartworfers jointly responsible for more than $200,000 in damages. Unable to pay that judgment or their other creditors, the Bartworfers filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Buckley then filed an adversary complaint in the bankruptcy proceeding, alleging that the debt owed him on the state court judgment was non-dischargeable under the bankruptcy code's exception to discharge of any debt for money to the extent obtained by false pretenses, a false representation, or actual fraud. Section 523A2, A2A of the bankruptcy code. The bankruptcy court found that David had committed fraud and imputed his fraudulent intent to Kate because the two had formed a legal partnership to renovate and sell the property. The bankruptcy appellate panel disagreed as to Kate's culpability, holding that 523A2A barred her from discharging the debt only if she knew or had reason to know of David's fraud. On remand, the bankruptcy court determined that Kate lacked such knowledge and could therefore discharge her debt to Buckley. The bankruptcy appellate panel affirmed. The Ninth Circuit reversed, in relevant part, invoking Strange versus Bradner. The court held that a debtor who is liable for her partner's fraud cannot discharge that debt in bankruptcy, regardless of her own culpability. Held. Section 523A2A precludes Kate Bartenwerfer from discharging in bankruptcy a debt obtained by fraud, regardless of her own culpability. A. Kate, hereinafter, Bartenwerfer, disputes a straightforward reading of Section 523A2A's text. Bartenwerfer argues that an ordinary English speaker would understand that money obtained by fraud means money obtained by the individual debtor's fraud. This court disagrees. The passive voice in section 523A2A does not hide the relevant actor in plain sight. As Bartenwerfer suggests, it removes the actor altogether. Congress framed 523A2A to focus on an event that occurs without respect to a specific actor and therefore without respect to any actor's intent or culpability. It is true that context can confine a passive voice sentence to a likely set of actors, but the legal context relevant to Section 523A2A, the common law of fraud, has long maintained that fraud liability is not limited to the wrongdoer. Understanding Section 523A2A to reflect agnosticism as to the identity of the wrongdoer is consistent with the age-old rule of fraud liability. Bartenwerfer points out that exceptions to discharge should be construed to those plainly expressed. Bullock versus Bank Champagne. 
The court, however, has never used this principle to artificially narrow ordinary meaning, invoking it instead to stress that exceptions should not extend beyond their stated terms. See Gleason versus Thaw. Bartenwerfer also seeks support from Section 523A2A's neighboring provisions in subparagraphs B and C, both of which require some culpable action by the debtor herself. Bartenwerfer claims that these neighboring provisions make explicit what is unstated in A. This argument turns on its head the rule that when Congress includes particular language in one section, but omits it in another section of the same act, the court generally takes the choice to be deliberate. If there is an inference to be drawn here, the more likely one is that A excludes debtor culpability from consideration, given that B and C expressly hinge on it. Bartenwerfer suggests it would defy credulity to think that Congress would bar debtors from discharging liability for fraud they did not personally commit under A, while allowing debtors to discharge debt for potentially more serious, fraudulent statements they did not personally make under B. But the court offered a possible answer for this disparity in Field versus Mans. Whatever the rationale, it does not defy crudility to think that Congress established differing rules for A and B. B. Any remaining doubt about the textual analysis is eliminated by the court's precedent and Congress's response to it. In Strange v. Bradner, the court held that the fraud of one partner should be imputed to the other partners who received and appropriated the fruits of the fraudulent conduct. The court so held, despite the fact that the relevant 19th century discharge exception for fraud disallowed the discharge of debts created by the fraud or embezzlement of the bankrupt. And when Congress next overhauled bankruptcy law, it deleted the phrase of the bankrupt from the discharge exception for fraud. The unmistakable implication is that Congress embraced Strange's holding. C. Finally, Bartenwerfer insists that the preclusion of faultness Faultless debtors from discharging liabilities run up by their associates is inconsistent with bankruptcy law's fresh start policy. But the bankruptcy court is not focused on the unadulterated pursuit of the debtor's interest, and instead seeks to balance multiple often competing interests. Bartenwerfer's fairness-based critiques also miss the fact that Section 523A2A does not define the scope of one's liability for another's fraud. Section 523A2A takes the debt as it finds it. So if California did not extend liability to honest partners, Section 523A2A would have no role here. And while Bartenwerfer paints a picture of liability being imposed on hapless bystanders, fraud liability generally requires a special relationship to the wrongdoer. And even then, defenses to liability are available. Affirmed. Justice Barrett filed an opinion for a unanimous court. Justice Sotomayor filed a concurring opinion in which Justice Jackson joined. Thanks for listening. If you wish to communicate with the podcast, please shoot us an email at scotusdecisions at gmail.com.